Hello everyone. Now before we go anywhere, I'd like to apologize for the sound quality on this recording. I could bore you with excuses, but suffice to say that heads will roll and P45s will be issued with total abandon. I'm so sorry that it's not up to our usual standard, but we will be back to normal next month. Hello everyone and welcome to the motorsport commentary behind the scenes for the July 2017 edition of the magazine. I'm Ed Foster and joining me today is editor Nick Trott, online content assistant Jack Phillips, photographer Lyndon McNeil and art editor Damon Cogman. Welcome everyone. Morning. Now before we go anywhere, I think it's worth just having a quick look at the past weekend where the editorial staff were scattered all over the world watching or competing in motorsport. After a quick round the table question this morning before we started, we were at, now remind me if I get anything wrong, uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, the Nürburgring 24 Hours, Lyddon Hill, Silverstone for the World Rallycross launch, Silverstone for the Classic and Sports Car Club Racing, Santa Pod and Browns Hatch. And Simon Aaron is currently on his way to the Isle of Man TT for the first time. Don't think I missed anything. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a normal weekend. Well, it's usually so. <laughs> and Alton Park. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. We've, we've had a weekend where he didn't make Alton Park. Um, what a great weekend of motorsport it was, uh, especially if you were at Silverstone watching Nick and I drive around relatively gently in the historic racing there. Um, a fun weekend, wasn't it? Amazing weekend, yeah. It's, it, it's, it, it changes your perspective on, on motor racing when, you are, when you're there and you are sat in a car, you're surrounded by... 50 lunatics all trying to take you out. Um, no, that's, that, that didn't happen at all. It, it, but it does, um, yeah, it was a very, very special thrill. Thanks for letting me share your car. Um, Not at all. I didn't break it. Well, no. maybe contributed to minor gearbox issue, but I believe there was some um, some bodywork, um, maybe sort of. Reshaped kind of bodywork. Yeah, I'd, I was. Um, yeah, should we talk about the July issue of the magazine? <laughs> um, you know, I think we should be <laughs> There might have been a small bit of contact. I've never ever made contact with another car in, in an historic race before, um, in 12 years of racing historic cars. Uh, so it, it's an awkward moment. Um, and the back marker came out of nowhere um, yeah. when I was in a sort of pack of cars racing. Did you apologise to I him? I immediately apologised <laughs> to him and gave him my contact details and name and everything like that. Um, so he will be giving you a call, Damon. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the way that Ed told it to me. So, yeah. so, when, so when we did the driver change, uh, I mentioned this in the office earlier, there was some extraordinary swearing. And I really wanted to know if there, was still, yeah, if there was some, still some oil down at, at the end of the hanging straight, because there'd been oil down for the, the, for the majority of like, the race. So I got nothing useful from Ed other than a lot of swearing. About, <laughs> beep, 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 beep. And then, of course, he goes up to the guy who he, who he um, drove into. Uh, who no, we, we made contact. I didn't drive into okay. it. So you made it was a moment of contact. At the end of the race, Ed goes up, goes, walks over to the guy. And um, I, Ed, you will have to correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how Ed told the story uh -huh. to me. So the guy was looking pretty angry. But then I think what happened is that he looked at Ed and then looked up and Look, thought, this guy is six foot seven. Yeah, kept looking so, up. Kept looking up. And then, but managed to pacify him, he apologised. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it's the fact that I went up and apologised so profusely, so quickly, when yeah. he had literally just got out of the car, um, relaxed him somewhat. Because the last time someone knocked into him, uh, they just put their car on a transporter and left. So, um, yeah. Anyway, let's, let's talk about the July issue of the magazine, shall we? Um, are there any free rides gone in a whiff of smoke? Um, and now, front and centre on the cover is the Ford GT40 with Gerhard Berger on, on board. Um, inside, there's a 23-page special on the car, including pieces on the 67 Le Mans 24 Hours, the new Ford GT, and Ford's forgotten GT. Um, 
Before we get anywhere, just to remind everyone, you can buy this issue on the website, motorsportmagazine.com, and you can also subscribe on there. Um, and with that, you get full access to the online archive, which consists of every issue ever printed from 1924 to present. Nick is looking at me expectantly. What have I missed? Uh, yeah, and you can also buy it um, in, in the States, um, particularly at Barnes & Noble. So, there you go. Excellent. Right, so now obviously the, the new Ford GT road car has been launched. Um, is that where this sort of cover came from with the, with the Ford GT40 and the new GT? Yeah, the planets aligned really. Um, so Andrew Frankel drove the, the new Ford GT, probably the most highly anticipated car of, of the year. Um, and then speaking to Dickie Mead, um, our, our contributing editor, he had this fantastic experience of sharing a GT40 with Gerhard Berger at, at Spa. Um, and then we started to look around at what um, Ford GT and GT40 stories weren't necessarily known. Um, and there were a few, so we, we popped them together. Um, it wasn't an easy um, package to pull together for, for this month. In fact, we had another couple of cover options. We have many options, uh, as we always do. Yeah, we had to cover image <laughs> options and cover design options and all sorts of stuff. But it just it just felt like it, it was the right time. And um, it's a great story. I think a lot of people have probably seen the qualifying lap that Dickie um, pulled off in that, in that GT40 as far. It's been all over the internet. And um, two cars narrowed on him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's quite, a, yeah, quite a squeaky bum moment, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to be able to tell that story, and, and, and let's face it, who, who's shared a GT40 at Spa with, with an F1 um, legend? Um, mm. So great, great story, and I'm really, really glad it. Absolutely, and I, I kind of like the fact it's not the uh, obvious choice. Obviously, we could have gone for a Golf uh, GT40 or a more uh, traditional uh, approach, but we've kind of taken a car that's that was sort of a little bit more obscure and had a bit more of a story to tell. Um, story to tell, yeah. yeah. Non-stop racing. Um, some of it's quite a grisly story, we won't, we won't reveal it all now, but mm. we've covered it all in issues, so... Um, yeah, lots in there, lots yeah. in there. Um, Lyndon, you were obviously helping select images for the cover, what, what were the other options, what, and why did we go with this one, with the sort of Ford GT tilted as if it's going downhill? With a glowing brake disc. Yeah. I know that's not the technical term. <laughs> pointing down. How long have you been doing this? No, well, it is. Look. It, it is. Tell me that's is. not pointing down. No, this is radio. You can't just say look. It's radio. <laughs> we we had other options. We we would, as you will see in the magazine, we had um, a modern GT with the the original GT40, which we tried to shoot or we we planned to have on the cover. But I think the fact that having Gerhard Berger in the race car was a more dynamic and unusual sh uh, unusual cover shot so with the glowing brake discs and it pointing downhill it kind of gives it a lot more kind of much more of a dynamic action shot which we felt grabbed our attention yeah. let's put it that way so we sweated over it though didn't we i mean we, yeah. we did we went and, and into the day in particular put a load of work into um, researching some locations at, at dagenham where ford keep their heritage cars and it's a very industrial kind of uh, it's a very it's, I mean, it's a cool location. Isn't it's no stepping back it. into the 70s where, yeah. and, and we had a perfect location sorted out with um, cooling ducts and everything else. And when we turned up to do the shoot, the heavens opened and just didn't play ball. So we, we, we were lucky enough to get into one of the railway shelters um, and it just didn't give the feel that we really wanted for the cover. So seeing that after we'd laid everything out and looking at pictures side by side and on the walls and getting everybody's opinion it was ultimately we came down to the 
to the action shot, which really shows it off. Um, Damon, the, the covers are quite a collaborative effort because obviously you and Nick sit down yeah. and kind of map them out along with Lyndon as well, but they do all then go up on the wall. They do. And there's sometimes a selection of even six or seven um, with yeah. sort of similar images, but just small tweaks that the lesser mortals like me don't, don't really notice. Um, yeah, I mean, it can be a, it can be a, a tor long and torturous process or it can just happen. It's, it's never a kind of a, uh, an, an instant thing. Uh, we, we find we have a, for the best laid plans, for particularly on this one, the best laid plans sort of uh, went, went, uh, went out of the window and we went for the better cover in the end. So we, we go through a process sometimes that's, that can be quite difficult with lots of options and people have very different, different options and different ideas. Um, with this one, it was actually relatively, even though we had many options, everyone went and pointed at exactly the same one on the wall. And amongst all the others, everyone went that one. And, uh, and that was, the, that was how, how it was deemed uh, by a collaborative effort. But uh, it's not, having said that, it's not always, uh, not always quite as straightforward as that. Everyone usually has their own uh, uh, favourites, so we have to have a little battle, but it's usually, yeah, it's hard, all part of the fun. Yeah, the, hard, the hardest thing is actually um, trying to detach yourself from what you had planned to do originally. I think this is my 96th or 7th cover that I've been involved. Who's counting? Uh, Who's counting? Somebody yeah. is. <laughs> Obviously, the majority of what I've learned from, from that is that there does come a point where you just have to switch off and you just have to say your original plan. It doesn't, it's not working. And, you, and instead of trying to crowbar it or try to you know, change the positioning of the cars or try and add a treatment on it on the image on Photoshop or move the text or the colours or anything, you just have to go, do you know what, it doesn't, doesn't yeah. work. It's not, it's not, it's not right. It's so, not right, yeah. Yeah. so you have to kind of start again. But that image with the glowing brake disc yeah. gear hard and that light that's on the car, I mean, it's unconventional. We appreciate it's an unconventional cover, but hopefully it worked. It worked for me as soon as I saw it laid out with the text on it. It just, I'm just gutted I didn't shoot it. Quick, quick, Some of the photos you did shoot that you were mentioning earlier yeah. um, were taken on an industrial unit, but in the sort of works and words of Marks and Spencers, it wasn't any industrial unit. Um, what? So just talk us through because you mentioned there that obviously it rained and you had to go inside. It did. Yeah. Um, we, it wasn't an easy day from start to finish, was it? Well, I, I was there the day before, so luckily enough, a couple of emails and phone calls to to the Ford Heritage and, and Classics department, and they thankfully let us in to have a, a wander around uh, the day before to see where we wanted to shoot. So there's lots of images, you know, phone images sent back to Damon going, look at this, we can shoot here. And again, another collaborative to, to work out where we wanted to shoot. Um, so yeah, it wasn't just any... any the, the, original, the original plan was to actually use the calling towers at the back of them, which are quite famous uh, amongst the car world, and especially the Ford, Ford enthusiasts. It's quite an iconic sort of part of the old Dagenham site have now long gone so that site has now been sort of uh, still stripped of all of its uh, iconic bits so there's, there's very few uh, bits left from that period or there's the occasional blue wall but that's about it these days so. the glamour of motor racing ah yes it's calling towers in Dagenham yeah. yeah. it's not what you signed up for is it <laughs> well at least I stayed dry that was the main thing um, now it's probably worth mentioning that Jack uh, Phillips who's joining us for the first time today has also plugged into all the audio equipment um, to furiously making sure that you can hear us so if there are any problems with the sound um, his email is <laughs> jack <laughs> um, but Jack you also played a little bit of a part in this sort of form Ford's, uh, Ford's set of features, um, and you spoke to Baz Linders, didn't you? Over yes. lasagna, sat on the floor somewhere. Yes, I, it took a while to track him down, but, and then I noticed a man sat with a plate of lasagna, and he 
looked a lot like Baz Luhrmann. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts did you find him? Uh, this was in the back of the Stracker garage at the Blancpain Endurance round. Yeah. Um, and he was happy for me to bother him during his lunch. Which proper, was actually the, proper journalism, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would be uh, furious. He smelled the food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the third lunch I'd interrupted that day. So, <laughs> I, I won't do it again. He, yeah, he talked about the the Ford GT of the mid 2000s, um, which is often forgotten, but it's actually more successful than most people realise. Um, and it still does look good, I think. I think it looks great as a GT, um, and it's obviously a GT. So he was talking about how they bought it and the background of the car, because its lifetime was only about two or three years, but it still won the GT1 World Championship, it still won. Is that the one that Grosjean raced? Yes, so yeah. it's Grosjean, Machiavelli. Kind of got him back in the uh, shop window as well, didn't it, for Grosjean? He, he brought him back yeah. to the sort of back into sort of race winning position. Yes. So he'd had his tough time at Renault and then won the first GT1 World Championship race, mm. which is pretty good. And then they, yeah, then he got back into Formula One, oh, GP2, won GP2, and then yeah. off he went. And um, Mark BDS then had to stop because the guy who created the car then unfortunately died and um, that was the end of that very brief short Ford story it wasn't supposed to be a race car but they turned it into one and then mm. they did especially when it took four backs in the month without actually Ford being involved so yeah I'm not saying it I mean it was a hell of a incredibly dramatic um, wonderful noise just looked right on the track and I'd, I'd love to at some point dive into the wind ratio of that car because I'm sure it's super impressive yeah did, did you not do that for the feature, Jack? I didn't have space. I was just interrupting people. Yeah. I was looking for lasagna. Now, without giving too much away, Nick, uh, Andrew's tested the new GT, uh, the much-anticipated GT. Um, does he like it? Does, uh, how, does he, how does he get on with it? Uh, this, the, uh, I can't tell you how much anticipation there is uh, around this car. There's page 114 page one for, the, for those right. with the magazine in front of them. Good Lord, they teased this car, haven't they? I mean, um, I believe Jack will be able to, um, our sports car expert will be able to confirm that obviously the race car, um, the race car raced before the road car was available yes. and they had dispensation, I believe, in order yes. to tell the It was um, contentious. Yes. He was doing effectively it was doing GT racing backwards. So instead of taking a road car and once homologated, then turning it into a race car, they did it backwards. So they wanted this race car, and then they designed the race car and then made a road car livable out of that race car. Yeah. Which I think Frank recovers. Yeah. And um, so that made it has a bit of a reputation of being not well universally liked because of that because it was against the spirit of GT racing all the other teams were very cross weren't yes. they yeah. Le Mans didn't help. probably yeah, winning their class at Le Mans was, yeah. probably didn't help yeah <laughs> yeah and there was the claims of um, sandbagging and it, yeah it's had a troubled that's what we were doing this weekend though. Uh, we were sandbagging, sandbagging. <laughs> yeah I'm very good at sandbagging <laughs> very good um, the, yeah, the, the, the car, the road car, I mean, it's a fabulously dramatic uh, car, it kind of out Lamborghini, Lamborghini, you know. Um, I think what's interesting about this as a road car is that it it actually does, in a way, its story does reflect um, the, the GT40 um, race car. I mean, this is, this is, this has no compromises. The modern supercars, 
um, but really, really easy to drive. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're so they've got great steering. Visibility is really good. There's no they've got cup holders, air conditioning. You know, everything about the cars are just easy to drive, which is very easy to drive. Ford have come along with something that is uh, really tight cabin because they wanted to narrow the, the cockpit area the aerodynamics. Um, it's got a race mode that drops it about an inch off the ground. Is, this is a race car for the road. So a lot of manufacturers talk about a race car for the road these days. Um, but I would say Ford can say it proudly. This is a true race car for the road. Um, so and it is half a million pounds. It. It's half a million pounds, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like double the price of all of its um, yeah. rivals. You know, McLaren. But that's all that though, aren't they? Sold out. They're probably, yeah. It's probably worth a million. Should have charged double. Market, so. it'll, be, it'll be worth a million. So we'll, we'll drive this. Um, we'll, we'll drive this again um, in, in Europe, and I'd like to do a proper uh, track video on it with Andrew and, and Dickie and maybe a few others. It would, it would be a great car to experience. So come along, Ed. It's much like an MGB to drive. Can I, I have a go, go, please? Look at me like that. Should we, should we move, on, move on a little bit? Um, just before we we go on to a big feature from uh, Mark Hughes, I just uh, for the Le Mans lovers out there, uh, it's on the motorsport shop. There is actually a bookazine called Le Mans in Focus, which is an amazing selection of uh, it's rare and sort of unseen images. Uh, Damon, you helped put it together, and they are it's packed full of amazing images, isn't it? It is. It's a wonderful. It's a wonderful coffee table experience um, for all, for all of you with people with coffee tables. It's the perfect addition. Uh, it's um, it's just it's just it's just a uh, an indulgent, lovely world of loveliness. Yeah. Uh, what can I say? Um, I actually I introduced Damon as the art editor. Uh, I got that a bit wrong. He's actually marketing director as well. Um, beautifully phrased. And also, it's worth mentioning the digital version has over 120 minutes of video footage on it as well. Um, so have a look at motorsportmagazine.com uh, and that's forward slash LM for mother in focus. Um, it's, it's worth having a look. Right, uh, we've, something I quite wanted to talk about was uh, a large 24-page precision special. Uh, Nick, tell us more. Yeah, so uh, there's, there is synergy between watches and cars. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think, um, in fact, there's a lovely story about... Um, in fact, Damon, you tell us story. Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, it's um, actually an interesting story about how the Rolex Daytona legend came about. Um, I don't want to give away all of it, but um, in amongst all the uh, pictures of watches, there is some lovely features, and one of one of which is uh, how the story of Malcolm Campbell used to uh, drive uh, his salt flat uh, land speed record attempts wearing a wearing a, wearing a Rolex, um, and a, a part of the Daytona legend comes from Sir Malcolm Campbell uh, from his uh, time in the 30s when he was uh, setting setting the uh, setting the world alight with her. Yeah. Uh, daring do attempts. I think it's probably worth saying as well that <coughs> we know that um, uh, you know some people um, often write in and ask us about the watch content and uh, whether it substitutes um, car content. Um, that's not the case at all with this um, precision supplement. This is a 220-page issue. Uh, all the features are there. Um, in fact, often when we get a special like like the precision supplement, we can, we can upsize the issue. We get more editorial pages. So, um, so that again, in the spirit of the kind of the behind the scenes aspect of this this podcast, that's how this all comes together. 
Um, and of course, you know, we do acknowledge that there's, there's that we generate income from uh, from this. You know, the watch advertising um, helps go some way to, towards paying um, Lyndon's enormous salary. Um, <laughs> so expensive. It's, <laughs> it's expensive, yeah. So, um, but it's fun. Enjoy it. You know, read it. It's some some great stuff in there. Um, and so it doesn't substitute any features. So um, all's good. Yep, all all on top of. So you're getting uh, extra. Right, we're turning to page 118. Uh, we've got a really fascinating interview with Helmut DeMarco, and the, the headline's lovely. It's actually a quote from Helmut saying, talent, that's not enough. They need to be desperate. Um, he's obviously talking about the Red Bull Young Driver program, which he heads up. And Mark sort of unearthed some of the truths behind it, uh, because I think we've all, in the office, have always found it quite strange when some drivers are dropped to a particularly good, others are brought on that don't particularly have a great track record. Um, Damon, if, if you wanted to get onto the Red Bull Young Driver Programme, <laughs> you need to read this, don't you? Because it uh, actually absolutely. gives away all, all the all, secrets. All the trade secrets, absolutely. Well, Marco is the, um, he's, al he's almost like the pantomime villain of the F1 paddock these days. He's, he's sort of got his reputation as being this, this evil sort of man that, that sort of ruins careers of young drivers. But the reality is he's um, been at the forefront of driver training and driver programmes in the Red Bull uh, uh, situation for many years now and you can't fault uh, his track record when you look at Sebastian Vettel and all the other people that have sort of since yeah, since been uh, I mean yeah you can you can keep on going of course there have been casualties of that you know you could look at Al Gashwari and Boemi who have, who have not done much wrong but uh, they I mean boy in, interestingly in the in the feature again don't want to give too much away but interestingly in the feature he does talk about Boemi as being a kind of maybe one that maybe got away and might, maybe if it was a different time and a different place he wouldn't have been sort of uh, uh, sort of removed uh, away from the program it's, I think it's interesting to note that Boehm is now still is, is, is still part of the Red Bull uh, driver program he's, he turns up he does events he does uh, driver um, uh, uh, training he does he's very much involved in the Red Bull world so I've got a feeling he's still you know maybe, maybe his time will come again maybe he will come back around he's a world champion he is a world champion. Yes, he's a. He can't stop winning in the Formula E at the moment. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fascinating insight into a into a guy that you probably don't know too much about, to be honest. You, you can so you can sort of see the headlines from him, but yeah, he's he's, an, he's a complex guy. Yeah, it's a great story. Isn't it? Yeah, it's um, just one of those tiny little logos. I know we're not supposed to be giving things away in this, but he's talking about signing an American driver um, who was uh, going from Graz to Munich, and Helmut told him to stop at Salzburg. And this American driver said, Salzburg? What, what's in Salzburg? And uh, Helmut replied, Mozart. And this American driver had no idea who he was talking about. And Helmut said, unbelievable. If I was going to Red Bull to talk about a contract, I'd make sure I knew all about the place. Mm -hmm. uh, which just, you know, it's incredible. If you want to be a young, young driver in the, Red, in the Red Bull program, you need to know about classical music as, as well as uh, Apex's. Not and, just about going fast, is yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think what Mark's done in this interview, uh, it's, it's a brilliantly done interview. I think he's... He's suggesting, or he's, he's kind of revealing, I guess, where the power is at Red Bull, isn't it? I mean, we mm. don't see much of um, the boss, Dieter. No. Um, it's hard to it's hard to gauge where Christian Warner sits in the, in the power um, struggle or the power leagues at Red Bull. But when you look at this interview, when you read this interview, you do get the sense that when Marco says jump people. Do so mm. now, right, you know. yeah. well, I think it's also interesting. He doesn't actually have a job title. Marco's, yes, Marco's yeah. role is completely 
um, arbitrary. It's yeah, and he, he reports to no one. Yeah, not even Dieter, is it? It's yeah. he, and ultimately, he's paid paid by the Red Bull Corporation, but ultimately, he has no um, official role. Which yeah. I find is fascinating in a kind of a, in a competitive global world like, yeah. like this. It's rather, it's rather refreshing. How do you think he would appraise our driving it? Do you think <laughs> we've got a chance on the Red Bull program? I think the jury would be out. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not saying no. Yeah. You know, we didn't come last, we didn't. Uh, and we were keen. Mm. And I'm pr- I know who Mozart is. Do you? Yep. That, is that Dave Mozart? I think I did. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Second in class out of two is technically last. Jack, this audio better be pretty special. <laughs> Um, let's move on to our lunch with, uh, which is obviously our monthly uh, monthly feature. This is starts on one two four. Um, now Matt Oxley caught up with King Kenny Roberts over the Grand Prix weekend in Austin, Texas, early this year. Um, Nick, how has it taken us so long to have lunch with the King, or well, the second King after Patty as well? <laughs> what are you asking me? I've only been here for five months. It's quite a long time, He's but no, it's, it's, it's long overdue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, he, this is a superstar. I mean, who would be the equivalent of Kenny Roberts in, in, in F1? Who's a guy who's, who's dominated the sport, changed the way that people uh, drive cars? I mean, you know, he's he's uh, he's a Schumacher, he's a Senna. He, yeah, he, he, he's he, kind of everyone rolling to one, isn't he? Yeah, with with that kind of tirelessness that you get with all the greats. Um, Matt Oxley pulled a blinder, basically. He um, he mentioned it earlier in the year when when I cast him out, asked all the contributors who should we lunch with. Um, Matt said we've got to do Kenny. I, I love bikes. Um, certainly agreed with that. And then when the MotoGP circus went to Circuit of America, um, Matt um, suggested to Kenny, should we sit down to do a lunch with? And he was, he was more than happy to. Um, great story, great photography, some wonderful, absolutely wonderful archive um, photography in here, and Damon big pat on the back, and <laughs> Lyndon as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Or, well, um, Lyndon's now obviously paid so much that we should, actually, we should yeah, stop yeah, thanking Lyndon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A wonderful piece. Yeah. Where are these photos from? Are they? We were lucky. I mean, I, I got in touch with the AMA in America and asked them if they had any archive of, of Kenny dirt racing, and, and luckily they came back to us with some nice shots that said they were more than happy for us to promote them with and yeah so we lucked in with that one yeah no they're really good great images um turning to 136 uh simon and linda went off to see a, a battered well not no longer a battered lola 270 a very beautiful yeah, a very lola beautiful lola 270 that's been sort of restored to its former glory um obviously linda you're in charge of photographs on this one yeah. um it's it's quite a different sort of feel to it because the, the lola's stripped down it's very much in a sort of very clean pristine workshop yeah, I mean, I didn't, until I'd seen Simon's photos of the actual crash, I didn't really know what I was dealing with. And then I saw the photos beforehand and just thought, how can anyone not walk away, but get away with so little injuries from this car? And then we we turned up to CMS in Kimbolton where they run the car. And to see the car in such a pristine, like you say, workshop area, and uh, ready for us to photograph and and how it had been rebuilt was just just incredible so we 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 treated it with a kind of an un, an undressed shoot shall we say so you could see what had been damaged and how it had been rebuilt and 
how it has been rebuilt is just incredible from from being virtually bananaed to to now racing again and in pretty much original form as well i mean there, there were bits of bodywork that were up in the shelves that are obviously kind of a, a a little kind of um memento of the day shall we say but to see how it has been all put back together is is just a testament to the guys at cms and what they've done yeah, yeah. there's real artistry isn't there? and i think that's what you know that that's the approach that we've taken to the and we wanted to reflect um, in the photography, the, the artistry, the, the work that goes into keeping these cars alive—you know, the cars that, that we love—you know, they're they're, um, they're very, very important cars, and, and I think the treatment is is, is suitably reverential. Um, and we are we are carrying this as a kind of a regular story now, so that pretty much in every issue there'll be a piece about a restoration or a workshop or. Um, Obviously, they don't have to go into the tyre wall quite so hard. <laughs> no, no, but I'd recommend, yeah, not breaking the car. I know there's an MGB <laughs> that could probably feature in the next issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, it's going to be regular. We're going to be focusing a lot on, on these wonderful um, engineers uh, who, who put these cars back together again, and great another great story from, um, from the team. Nick, I'm actually going to come straight back to you for the for the next feature. Um, I'm, in fact, I'm not going to give it too much of an introduction because I know you're such a fan. Mr. Tamiya, um, sort of, uh, it's right up your street, this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do struggle to contain my, my admiration um, and respect um, for, for Mr. Tamiya. Um, so this is the hopefully uh, our readers will be aware of, of, the, of the Tamiya plastic model company. Um, it's a, it's an incredible success story, um, and the man who Mr. Tamir himself is a lovely guy. He's um, he's, he's still at the head of the company. Um, I went to Nuremberg to the big toy fair um, to meet him. I did meet him once before, ten or so years ago. Um, I wanted to meet him again. It was the fiftieth consecutive year that they'd been at the toy fair, and there were rumours going around that would be the last time he'd be in Europe. And to me, he he's an absolute hero. He's he's him and him and my dad, I would I, I would say, are the two people uh, uh, responsible for my love of cars. Um, my dad, because he took me to Brantad pretty much every weekend, um, and I loved it. And Mr. Tamiya, because I learned about um, cars from making his models and his radio-controlled cars, um, and the, the wonderful detail in in the cars. You know, you, you learn about coil sprung suspension, you learn about differentials, you learn about um, ball joints, rose joints, everything from um, uh, from from Tamiya kits, um, and he's 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 an Enzo Ferrari. You know, like we talked about who who would be Kenny Roberts equivalent just now. I mean, Mister Tamiya is he's Enzo Ferrari in, in the model world. You know, so and he's the, the loveliest, humblest man. He's just a really lovely guy, and I rather embarrassingly took. I, when I was a kid, I used to cover my school books in Tamir catalogues, um, and I found something <laughs> loft. <laughs> oh my goodness, so, I can see where this is going. So I found it, you can see on <laughs> No wonder he's not ever coming back <laughs> to the toy yeah. model fair again. One, one four, two, there's the, you can see Mr. Tamir is holding, um, he's actually holding one of my school books that I covered in um, a Tamir catalogue. But he was, funny thing, he looked at this, and then he went straight inside to look at the school books, and I was thinking, oh no, I was really bad at that. <laughs> Mark my words. Oh my like goodness. A but 
a lovely, charming, gracious man. And the story written by Marcus Nichols is a great story. He tells the story of Mr. Tamir's life. And um, if you love cars and you love engineering and you love the business um, and, the, and the passion of, of motor racing, um, you, you must read this. It's, it's fantastic. Job. I could go on, but I bet. As, as an aside, <laughs> this, this very last weekend, I was actually building it to be a point. Yeah, yeah, I built a BMW 635 CSI oh, this last weekend. Um, for our, for our, uh, our deputy editor, he um, he's just bought himself a 635 CSI, and I thought it'd be a nice touch. Uh, Simon Aaron had a had an old um, Schnitzer one in his in his loft, and he he brought it brought it down to sort of give to me to to make. So I've uh, I've built built a, a, a Gordon Crookshank spec uh, BMW 635 <laughs> to me a model of the weekend. Excellent. Give to <laughs> cheer him up. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Right. So we be on. I said, I haven't got too much time left, uh, but I did just want to talk about uh, the last big feature in the issue, um, which is 40 years of Donington Park. Um, it's, well, since it was rebirth, uh, it's, Gordon went to, go and went to Donington Park and sort of met everyone there. Uh, Damon, Donington's had a sort of a torrid time over those 40 years. A huge, Crikey, huge yeah. highs, but <clears throat> some really big lows as well. So it's a miracle that it's kind of here still working. It's amazing it's still with us, isn't it? Let's, let's be honest, it's had a, it had, a, had a, a, a sort of tricky start and it's had a tricky life over its, uh, and hopefully, um, Jack, is, is the uh, deal gone, has the deal gone through yet with? Uh, um, I think there are still I's to dot and T's to cross. Right. Um, just, no just, uh, just for everyone listening, this is for MSV, Jonathan yes. Palmer's sort of circuit company buying Donington Park. Yes, I believe yeah. it is. It's, it's a done deal, effectively. I know. Yeah. Well, last time I had an email from their press office, it said part of MSV Group. How much you can read into that, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's had a it's had a tricky it's had a tricky um, life, but uh, it looks hopefully, fingers crossed, it's got going to have a secure future now with uh, with Jonathan getting involved and uh, MSV being 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 part of that family. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a secure secure future. But um, yeah, the 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 history, crikey, the I mean, what history has been there? I mean, for everything from uh, everything from the war efforts to uh, 19, the famous 1930s uh, Silver Arrows to F2 to Senna's 93 race. I mean, you could you could go on. It's had so many amazing highlights over the years. Unfortunately, it had some terrible sort of lowlights with uh, different changes of changes of uh, ownership and digging yeah, the track up. I mean, yeah, really I mean, we were very 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 close for it to not being ever being here again. So we're very lucky it's still still with us. Um, but yeah, the, the the forty years have been a been a very uh, roller coaster been, ride. Been a hell of a roller coaster, yeah. definitely. Linda, am I right in thinking that Donington's quite a good place to take photographs at because it's kind of so recognisable? It's yeah, you obviously Cranica, as everybody knows that, and yeah. the last you came. But it's got the undulation as well, so it makes it makes it nice to get different angles that you don't normally get at such of the old airfield circuits. Yeah. I can imagine Silverstone's quite quite a difficult one. It's a yeah, slightly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you weren't there on the weekend for us? <laughs> for you, I wasn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Excuse me. We told this story through the eyes of some of the people that um, know the circuit the best, and certainly have known it um, over the last forty years. And it was, when it was rejuvenated, um, and that was that. We sat down in the office, um, Gordon and I, and a few a few others. We looked at how we would approach this story, and we just thought, you know what, it's. Let's hear it from, from their own words. Yeah. So I think, it, I think it worked really well. Gordon's done a great job pulling it together. Yeah. Now, there's obviously loads more content in the issue that we haven't discussed, including the news, obituaries, Mark's Grand Prix notebook, 
other columns from Dickie Meaden, Gordon Crookshank, Simon Allen, Richard Williams, Doug Nye, just to name a few. Uh, road cars with a full road test of McLaren's new 720S and, of course, private view. Um, just a reminder, you can buy this issue on the website, motorsportmagazine.com, and you can also subscribe on there. Um, you'll get it delivered to your door before you can buy it on the newsstands, and even if you live in some of the remotest parts of the world, you can read the digital edition the day it's released. Thank you all so much for listening and for buying the magazine. Do keep in touch via email, social media, and even typed letter that we still get in the office occasionally. Um, the office address is on the website. See you all next month, and thank you for listening.